Hello, you're listening to the abridged version of Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full-length version of Book Shambles and also get loads of other extra treats and bits and pieces, then why not go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. Anyway, here's the abridged version with loads of really interesting things that were cut out. I mean, there's lots of interesting things you're still going to hear, but some of the things you're missing out on. Hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. Uh, this is a kind of, it's almost like a bonus episode. It's, uh, it's Reece Shearsmith has uh, Inside Number Nine. Is, uh, it's, it's, it's imminent, or you might even be listening to it and it has actually started and you can go and uh, watch the first episode. Uh, Reese and I, and also Johnny Maines, talk a little bit, uh, well, quite a lot about actually, um, about Dead Funny, the anthology that Reese uh, contributed a story with, and Reese is also contributing a story for the next Dead Funny book, the third Dead Funny book, which you can go to Unbound and uh, you can support that book so we can make sure that it actually comes out with Reese's stories and many other people as well. Anyway, here's Johnny, Reese, and me. But just before we go to Robin, Reese, and Johnny, producer Trent here, to let you know that the URL you need to go to to support the third dead funny book of horror stories edited by Robin and Johnny, that will feature short stories from the likes of Robin and Reese, as well as Elf Lyons and Stuart Lee and Rufus Hound and Jeremy Dyson and Izzy Sooty and lots more. The URL is unbound.com slash books slash dead hyphen funny. There's lots of different ways to support the project on there, so go and check it out. And also, if you're not already a Patreon supporter of the Book Shambles podcast, you can do that at patreon.com slash bookshambles, and you can hear an extended edition of this episode of Book Shambles, plus extended editions of all the others, as well as lots of other goodies, including both series of our documentary series and Uncanny Hour. They're also features Reese and Mark Gatiss and Jeremy Dyson, in fact, talking about all different areas of uncanny counterculture like The Thing and David Cronenberg and Dead of Night and much more. Patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to subscribe to that. And now here is Robin Reese and Johnny. Hope you enjoy. <music> Well, we're going to talk about a little bit about, uh, I suppose, writing short stories because uh, I'm joined by Johnny Maines, uh, who, amongst many other things, as well as being a brilliant editor of uh, uh, and, uh, and and collector of horror stories, has also done many other things, including uh, um, being a biographer again. I think of Herbert von Thal from uh, the Pan Book of Horror Stories that you're, you're working on now. Yeah, so that's his own biography, uh, The Tops of the Mulberry Trees, and uh, I'm using that as my core. Um, I wrote a, a biography about him in 2010, which came out in 2011, and it was very slight. It didn't have a lot of information about him, but it was a start. And I thought that uh, maybe like 12 years after, I should probably write a really big biography about him, and I wish I hadn't because he's turned out to be one of the most awful men on the planet. That's always the danger, isn't it? That's the the, the, the danger of finding out. It's it's like, you know, meeting someone backstage or anything. It's, it's, you know, I'm sure oh, we're also joined by Reese Shearsmith. I'm sure, Reese, you must have had that thing every now and again, maybe when you're having your hair cut, where someone says, oh, I saw you were working with uh, that fellow that I'm a big fan of. What's he like? And you think, oh. I must now, yes, just just how you'd imagine him to, to, to be. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, Pete, when most people when they meet me, that's when they they, they have the feeling that Johnny's had about Herbert Van Thal. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's it's hard, isn't it? Because it becomes that knotty problem of separating the art from the person. And are you allowed to? You know, it's a very interesting um, debate that all artists and art have. You know, you could like a thing, but then find out the person is horrible. And are you still allowed to like the thing? You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting one, is it? Because I think if someone has written like kind of what appear to be very lovely, personal, philosophical ideas for how to live your life and turns out to be an arsehole, I find the clash between, I mean, it is my, you know, my, my, my issue with, say, someone like Morrissey would be Morrissey's is singing very directly to people. And so when it's a very direct, whereas I think, yeah, sometimes when you just go, ah, oh, it's a lovely landscape, but apparently he was an awful man, I can yeah. still probably enjoy the landscape. Yes, yeah, I guess it is the content of the, uh, and the direct correlation between the person and how close they are to what they're, what you're still expected to believe of them. Because I think yeah. that with, with horror, the good thing, I, I suppose, for all of us as fans of, of, of a lot of kind of, you know, horror fiction is that many of those writers are OK. Not all of them. There's probably one that we're all very keen on, who the more you find out about whether his work in the world of uncanny stories or uh, canal boats uh, can be quite disconcerting. <laughs> I believe you've written, in fact, of course, an introduction to one Robert Aikman book, haven't you, Reese? I did, yes, yeah, if that's who we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I don't really know much about him. There is a big new biography about him, isn't there, come out, which I'll be intrigued to read, which I was sent very kindly by Neil Gaiman. So I'm, I've, I've yet to read that. But, um, yeah, his worldview and and then the stories he wrote, which are so oblique and, and strange, you know, I, you can still... There it is. That's the one. You can still... Um, you can you can still enjoy it, I guess, and it maybe only adds to this sort of curiosity of his, of the strangeness of his uh, perception. You know that he was the way he was. Um, what about? I mean, because I, I I think I, I wanted to on the actual short story thing. When we did the first Dead Funny collection, and yours is the very first story in there, and I know we've talked about this before. There's a, a wonderful review, I think it was on Amazon, uh, that says, uh, "Well, if you find dog murder uh, entertaining, then you might enjoy this book." But I certainly do not, and I did not read any more of the stories, and then gave us three stars. <laughs> So, which I thought was wonderful. They they hated the book, didn't read most of it, and were deeply offended by the the, the dog murder, but still felt it was yeah. worth three stars. Um, but that, which is a very very funny story, your 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 story that opens that is is dark and it is funny, and I think it is it is many things people would hope from reading. But what I found fascinating that was the first time that you'd actually written anything for a book, having written films and radio and television. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and I found it extreme. I mean, you know, I was. Um obviously did English and um, creative writing was a big part of that. And what, one of the things I enjoyed about English was being able to slightly shoehorn in writing short stories, horror stories. And I enjoyed doing it, but I was never particularly, uh, I've never continued to do it. And I found it really hard when, when asked to do it, I was delighted to be part of Dead Funny originally. And I was like, yes, I'd love to, but I don't know if I can do it. You know, it's just a given, you just assume it's a given you can. And, Script writing is different, you know, it's a very different um, beast completely. And I guess, uh, I suppose I've been in the world of writing half hour short sting in the tail stories. So it's not a million miles away from doing a sort of version of it with a short story, but I, I did find it tough to do it and it didn't come easy. And I sort of had to really think about how I wanted to 
tell the story and, and just just the perpetual you know the length of time it takes to you do get into it but I don't do it a lot so I don't sit and write long passages of, of anything because it is the most I'll do of that is when we're sort of trying to map out um a, a, a storyline for an inside number nine that'll eventually be told in dialogue which is a very different thing so yeah I found it hard and and again um Having done the third one, I, I, I slightly found it easier coming back because I had this idea in my mind of this story I wanted to write. So, and I maybe was a bit more bolder and just a bit more, I've done this before, I can do it again. But yeah, it was slight trepidation to attempt it because I wanted it to be good. And it's not always a given that it, it will be. It's a real skill. No, that I've 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 not seen your story for the new collection, but that first one I just thought was it's a it's a brilliant thing, Johnny, isn't it? Where because some short stories lead up to a brilliant punchline, but if you actually look at the story, the story itself is is kind of not not that good, but it's got a good well, it's it's a bit like I've never been a fan of the film Seven, but it has a great ending, which then makes me think that the rest of the film was much better. It's like certain stand-ups would have such a brilliant final routine, you'd forgotten how bored you'd been for the previous eighteen minutes. Now sometimes, and I think well, you know that's what I love about about your short story in a lot of the stuff we had in dead funny was that a lot of them they not only had a very satisfying twist but they had a build towards them and and john i mean who do you think johnny are, are, are the real kind of masters of of, of that um there, there's an author from um the pound book of horror stories called harry e turner and he did uh the stuff with the fontana uh, horrors as well. So uh, one night at the Roxy, and he did the the Tunisian talking ferret for Pan Horrors, and he was well. He is. Uh, he was an ITN uh, producer back in the day, and I think he's in his late eighties now. And he was one of those uh, authors that I first encountered who would give you horror and funny all in the same story, and. He was the first one that opened up the gates to me that, you know, that said you are allowed to write funny horror stories and they can be effective and they can have, you know, that punch at the end of it where you don't know whether you should go, oh, oh, God. And that, you know, and then there was Conrad Hill that um, did a lot of really black humour. One story about his head, uh, this boy's head was big, and he gets carried out, you know, like a balloon. Uh, and then there was another author called Gilbert Phelps, who only wrote one short story for the Pan Horrors, but it was one of the most effective ones. And it was called The Hook. And it was about uh, a man with a big hook coming out of his head. And that punchline to that story floored me. And I've never, like, kind of read a story that has got me as much as Gilbert Phelps' The Hook has. Uh, yeah, and then of course Dulcie Gray, her short stories, and, and we kind of Dulcie find Gray. We should that. tell for for perhaps some of the older listeners will remember Dulcie Gray from many uh, films and TV shows with her husband Michael Dennison, and uh, and for some people Howard's Way on a Sunday night would have been uh, uh, Michael Dennison and Dulcie Gray. They're, they're kind of big moment. Yeah, well, she, she wrote uh, under a pen name called Alex White. And I thought that she had written a short story uh, under that name, but a different one altogether. And she wrote something called The Clinic from Pan Horror 14, which is one of the most gruesome short stories of all time about this young girl who just gets mutilated by, you know, in this uh, hospice place. And to think 
of Dulcie Grace sitting at her typewriter, you know, conjuring up the most awful things imaginable and then sending them off to Herbert Van Fowler would go, yes, I think we could get this published and it won't, you know, kind of be, uh, you know, hit by the authorities or anything, was in a way, you know, the 70s publishing was really bravura stuff. They got away with more than, you know, I, I don't know how the pan horrors flew under the radar as much as they did. There was a, a short story uh, by Faye Wolf called Slowly about a young kid who gets crushed under a roller coaster ride. And that is just, it's bonkers. And you just read it and go, yeah, you, you know, 12-year-old kids used to read that. They used to well, talk it's an about important that. Thing, isn't it? All, all that damage is, you know, Reese, where your career comes from, isn't it? That, be- you know, those beautiful collections scarred for life, and 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 this idea that now, you know, our generation is known as the haunted generation. Uh, you know, all all of these things that were playing around, not merely with the ghostly, but the, but the, you know, really viscerally grotesque as well. Yeah, absolutely, and completely accepted as. Um palatable for our age you know it didn't ever seem out children's television was you know so sophisticated but deeply haunting and, and disturbing and it was just an accepted level of um, intelligence I guess that was applied to the stuff that we had I'm not saying that there's nothing like that now but it did certainly have a, a lifelong impact for all of us that have managed to somehow keep one foot in that world and, and make a living from it you know I'm just replaying the things I liked in my childhood over and over and the things that we make now. But um, yeah, it was, you know, it, it is really um, fascinating to think that, that that was an accepted level of um, entertainment. It's like the EC comics, I guess, isn't it? That did go, that was so grisly and gruesome and yet sort of you got away with it because it was a cartoon and I don't think people quite looked at it long enough to realize what it was peddling. I mean, eventually it was banned, wasn't it? But um yeah, all those things I think um, have been brought to bear with the stuff that we we still do now because um, it's just that delicious thing of, of kind of people that you, that were enjoying it knew that they shouldn't be allowed to be actually um, consuming it, but were doing. You know, it was like peeping up behind the curtain at half eleven at night when the horror double bill was on, and you shouldn't be watching horror of Dracula or satanic rights at one one oh five in the morning on BBC two, but you were able to see it, you know. See, that was always the awful thing for me because, of course, in those days, the you know the TV aerial had to be plugged in, and the so main socket for it was in my mum and dad's bedroom. So they uh, knew that I was secretly watching the first black and white film, perhaps the yeah. least with five fingers. But then, when it got to uh, perhaps Brotherhood of Satan, uh, the, the colour, even though we had a black and white television, so it actually made no difference whether it was the black and white colour one. They were both <laughs> in black and white. You had two black and white. <laughs> yeah, I always find that it's like watching the Roger Cormans now, the Edgar Allan Poe Roger Cormans, which I'd only ever seen it and, and to see I, I did a recently uh, or not a while ago now screening at Upfield Picture House of uh, um, oh, oh, what, what on earth am I talking about the uh, Vincent Price Nick Rogue was the uh, um, cinematographer um, Mask of the Red Death Mask of the Red Death yeah Yes. And to watch that on the big screen, I thought, oh, yeah. what now, an impression well, that would have made if I'd seen that in colour. Oh, yeah, it's so beautiful, yeah, and um, absolutely technicolour, isn't it? It's most ghoulish in a way, it's, it's so rich. I, yeah. What's been the most disappointing one for both of you you've returned to? Because uh, recently I, 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 I re-watched Hands of the Ripper uh, with my wife, and I don't think she'd seen it since she was 12. 
And so what she has playing in her head is a 12-year-old's reaction to Hands the Ripper. And then she <laughs> right. went, I didn't realise how kind of long and boring it was. I mean, I still think Hands the Ripper's got some good things in it, but like a lot of hammers, there's a lot of flannel in there as well. Yeah. So I just wondered, the ones where you've gone, finally, and then gone, oh. Yes. I Well, some of the... I have to say, I think that um, the... Um, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors is a bit of a disappointment when you rewatch it. It's, it's terrible to dare to say it out loud, but uh, some of it is just so, they're so slight. I mean, I guess it's in an age of where I, all I'm thinking about is anthology stories and, and, and how clever the audiences are and how you can't get away with anything. And I, I just can't believe the, the, the thin gruel that, that some of those stories are where it's like, wow, you managed to make this last 15 minutes. And there is nothing to some of those stories at all, the voodoo one. It's just really slight. Oh, the voodoo one really goes in because it, it almost slight. feels like they'd gone, we haven't got long enough. Roy Castle, could you just play your trumpet for a while, please? <laughs> yeah, and we'll blow some wind. Yeah, we'll blow. We'll have a very big fan at the end of, it, of, of, the, of the hallway. Yeah, I don't know. That one was bad. But conversely, a brilliant one, I've just mentioned it, because Mark pointed out to me that we were together filming and he said, you've got to rewatch Satanic Rites. It's, it's much better than you remember. And it really is. I watched it that night and he, it's such a strange, um, because it's modern, but it's better modern than Dracula 1973. It sort of does what that should have done without the campness. It's really good and it's it's very bleak. And uh, it's a bit like Corruption, that terrible, horrible Peter Cushing film where he's, it, it's so frightening because he's so sort of, it's like Texas Chainsaw, but it's got Peter Cushing in it and it doesn't feel right. There's this man that's <laughs> like Leatherface in the middle of it. But um, yeah, that's a really good one. But uh, yeah, there are some disappointments and you, you do you're exactly right to think it's because you remember them from when that blood was so visceral and you were 12 and not 50 <laughs> like what we are now yeah eric porter somehow getting a, a a sword pretty much stuck all the way from one side of his body to the other but sideways so like yeah it's uh, yeah and <laughs> i think hands of the ripper is one of the ones that i remember and i've got joyous memories from seeing him in the alan frank the bit pictures of it and thinking, what's this film? I must see it. And then you do see it, and it's never quite as uh, as good as as the as the stills from the from the books made it. Yeah, it's Eric Porter's horrified face as he sees his maid lying, you know, wide-eyed and dead in a bath. I think yeah. that's that's one of the. What about for you, Johnny? What's the one that you've? Uh... Um, I I really do not like the reptile, and. I just don't know what it is. You know, John Glenn also did Plague of the Zombies, and that film to me is a masterpiece. Um, Jacqueline Pierce is good in Reptile, but it just has nothing to it. It's just really flat, and I, I get really bored when I watch it, and I just like kind of turn it off halfway through. I can't can't bring myself to to like kind of finish it. But then Mark Morris, the horror author, who I think Reese knows as well. Um, that's one of his favourite Hammer films. So, and, and he goes mad for it. Hello, sorry to disturb the conversation. Just to say, you are listening to the abridged version of Josie and Robin's book shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version, then you can support us via Patreon and get all of the other bits of tittle-tattle that dropped out of our mouth. Because I quite like, is it? The, it's the Devil's Reign, isn't it, with uh, William Shatner and Ernest Borgnine? Ernest Borgnine, yeah. I mean, it's not a great film, but it has moments in it of real greatness. I think. Yeah. 
that is that is a ghoul. Another one from the the, the um, horror film stills where you think, what's happening there? You see Ernest Borgnine with his face melting. Yeah, it's sort of it. It, 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 it the expectation is is much greater, I think, than when you actually see it. It's a bit ropey that one. Uh, another. Sorry, oh, can I just? I was yeah. just going to say, uh, one of the anthology films that I don't think gets talked about enough is uh, Amicus's Torture Garden. Yes. That, for me, the, the man who collected Poe oh, is yeah. just one of the greatest little segments of all time. And it's just one of those ones where you talk to people, they kind of go, uh, yeah, but Jack Palance, Burgess Meredith, you know. Oh, it's, it's great. I love it. That one, that particular story is brilliant, Johnny, you're right. And it's so, that sweaty, feverish performance of Jack Palance who just wants to get his hands on these new supposed works of Poe. I can't remember now the names of the, of the books that he's re, he's written in, because, of course, the brilliant twist is he's got him alive and he's writing <laughs> new stories. And there's some really great titles that are very believable Poe titles. And it, and he's, he starts reading them all out, and it's, I just can't remember what the names of them were now, but yeah, it's really good. And Peter Cushing is chilling in it as the one when he, when he explains that he's got him downstairs. Yeah, <laughs> and he, he thinks he's a fake because he's writing on modern paper. Yeah, it's a great story, and um, yeah, the others are maybe not as good, but that is the standout of that one, isn't it? What's the Jack Palance film? I've forgotten now where he's uh, a, a psychotic antiques dealer. It's it's one one of those one that it's not maniac it's not corruption but it's something like that, oh. uh, and um, yeah he basically he murders it but but what I love about that I I can't find it anywhere now I used to have VHS with loads of Pearl and Dean adverts and for some reason they did they used that film Jack Palance is and then they went but when Jack Palance isn't filming I love milk. And it was a milk marketing board thing, and, and a bit like the fact that To the Devil a Daughter was used for the children's book Facts About a Feature Film. It feels like an incongruous mix between milk and antique-based murders. <laughs> I wish I knew the title, I don't know it. Oh, Johnny, you, have you got your... We'll, we'll find out before the end. Um, I, I must quickly ask you, Reese. obviously, we're, we're talking to you just before the new series of, uh, of Inside Number 9 starts. Yes. And... Um, before, do you feel now, I was just thinking that, you know, it's developed so much over the series and the fact that, you know, I it, do you now feel a greater freedom when you go into areas that are not horror uncanny or, go, you know, I think in particular, you know, I think I've said to you before, yeah, but Love's Great Adventure, I think, is, is one of my favourite episodes. I think it's a, it's a brilliant episode and it's it's a long way from what people might have first expected of, of, of the series. Now with Series 7 about to start, do you kind of, do you feel freer in terms of, you know, worrying, oh, what are, the, are the audience going to expect it to be a horror? Or Oh, yes, yeah. I mean, I, and I never... Um... I think it, that is absolutely true. And we, we were never, you know, who knew in 2012 that we'd still be doing it? I mean, expected, we had six little stories and we thought that's great and I can't believe they're commissioning it because they never commission one-off stories, anthology. And then we're into series seven now and it's incredible. So we absolutely um, chase the thing that we uh, haven't done. You know, we've written 43 now of these separate stories and, and it's just me and Steve in a room and it's really hard to, keep coming up with things especially with the tyranny of this of the twist and the expectation of these jaw-dropping brilliant episodes people are sick of it people are sick of the quality of it still being quite good i think and they wait they're willing it to fail now and i have the weight of that on my shoulders you know because i just think it's it's just hard to keep 
coming up with things where we think that's like that one we've already done and it's maybe not as good as that one that we've already done it's a slightly watered down version so um but in light of still being on still being required to write them we have enjoyed going what would be absolutely the last thing that anyone would think an inside number nine would be and then trying to find write that so there was never a, a plan to that there would always be horror but there's always this that's possible darkness to them. But other times it, they're very warm and they're quite, uh, and in fact, most often the ones that people have um, responded to have been the moving ones, the ones that have made them feel like they might cry, you know. And so the heartwarming ones, which we've not done many of, but we've done a few, seem to be the standout ones that have stayed with people. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it just resonates more, but um, I think it's just from uh, the fact that they, have touched them you know it's like like the horror genre like comedy it, and things that make you feel something they do have a resonance in 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 a way that things that just wash over you and it's just another piece of telly might not you know so christine is it was all it was a big favorite and, the, and bernie clifton's dressing room which was very heartfelt but we thought it was fine we only did it because it was a two-hander with me and steve but people took away from that that found that very moving but yeah the reins are the restraints are off as far as thinking we've got some parameters to stay in. We will just try and write now something that we think will hook you in for half an hour and, and be an enjoyable new story. You know, that's all we're trying to do now. But keep the bar high. When Johnny was mentioning about comedy and, and horror, I, I mean, I think inside uh, uh, Bernie Clifton's dressing room, that, that one is Bernie Clifton's dressing room has... Uh, the speed in which you went, especially at the end of that episode, gag, emotional punch, gag, and yeah. it's one of those things that I just watched again. There's, there's one Bill Murray in Scrooge does a comedy trip that I became obsessed with when I was eighteen because I couldn't quite work out how he'd done it. You know when you become obsessed with tiny details, yeah. And that was that in the, the, the Bernie Clifton dressing room that had that moment for me, which was to be able to take people with such speed, and the fact that the jokes never belittled the drama of it. I yeah, I guess you, it's a perilous tightrope you're walking with doing that, right, to just throw in the middle of a, the height of a dramatic bit, something that absolutely is almost there to undermine it, and then but keep on track with the the emotion and the, and the import of the of the moment that you're trying to do. Yeah, and that, when you get it right, it's great. You know, you can sometimes diffuse it too much and, and you never get it back, but that's the, the delicious thing if you can make it work, I guess. And... Uh, if you're in it and you're feeling the moment for the characters, I think you are you are able to undercut it and still stay in the moment without bursting the bubble of the drama. Johnny, what for you is the one that has been the, had had the biggest kind of gut punch for Inside Number Nine? Uh, Christine, but my favourite has always been Zanzibar. Oh, great! I love you said that one. It's amazing. It's just <laughs> it is beautiful and it's farcical. Uh, yeah, if I had to, if I had a big screen all to myself, and I could have you and Steve sit next to me and doing a commentary track, it would be to Zanzibar, I think. Zanzibar, that, and it's technically perfect as well. You just hit everything like kind of bang on, and uh, the the other one I can't remember the name of it. Oh God, uh, the one with Helen McCrory. Oh uh, yes, the harrowing. The harrowing, yes. Yeah. That one as well. That that was one that that was from the first season, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, first season. Yeah, that, that was I think when it all became quite special, and you just went, yeah, 
were in safe hands. They know what they're doing. And you kind of knew that inside number nine had kind of broken out. And yeah, and yeah. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. That, that one has quite an amicus feel to it, actually, doesn't it? I think that that yeah, one would be perfect yeah. in the portmanteau film. Yeah, that is very much um, gothic on its sleeve. Um, EC. I mean, we're almost like the monsters or Adam's family in it. It's very purple and um, you know quite um, overtly um, comic book in a way. But uh, the more scary ones probably are the ones that are not set in a haunted house, you know, and they're more mundane. And that horrible one that we did that where Steve was sort of a fritzel keeping a woman in his basement. Very ordinary and grubby and, and you know, a bit really some place like in its mundanity. And then the real evil horror is the fact that he's just this boring man, you know, and that's, that's probably more um, one of the darker ones we ever did, I think. Do you ever have, I mean, with this series about to begin, are you still wary of in any way predicting the one that you think, oh, do you know what, I think this might be, because I mean, what what one has taken you most by surprise in terms of, you know, because normally when the show's on social media, very positive as well, I've, I've got to say, you know, I, I see an enormous number of people who are so excited it's about to start, and then they're very excited at 10pm to say, oh my god, I didn't see that, and oh, I noticed that, and I noticed this. Do, do you ever get that sense of predicting, uh, or are you always shocked by, by the ones that really hit? Yeah, I think it's... Um... I just sort of dare do it because I'm too afraid that everyone's going to hate it anyway. So you you never dare presume any of them are going to break through and be everyone's. I mean, the great thing is because there are they're all different. I see mostly people loving particular ones, and then they'll be, oh, I hated that. So it's and that and there in a nutshell, in a nutshell is that is the is t- is taste and people. You know, you can't please everyone, and there'll be a story about two people in a or the the, the one in the um the couchette that's our sort of homage to a little murder mystery a very claustrophobic one people will some people will love it other people will find it puerile because there's a lot of silly gags in it so it's just people's um reaction to the tone of it i guess because we've done it's all over the place you know there's never one set you never know what you're going to get i guess and maybe that's the nice thing about an anthology and indeed watching a um, a portmanteau you don't know what the next one's going to be other than probably the middle one will be the comedy one and the last one will be the, the really scary one and i and we enjoy sort of playing with um the order one of the nice games of number nine is once we've got all six we'll think right now what is the what's the journey of the order of these stories and where will what will be number one what will be the one that will hook people in and have probably have the most heat on it because people will watch it so we've put the episode with Scott Mark in it in, as episode one because it's a nice episode and it, it feels right that it's a bit of a mini league reunion. So that's going to be episode one for this series. Great to have him back, of course. And it, and it sort of fits that it's about three old college friend, friends meeting up and having a, a reunion from many, many years ago. So And that is true of us. It, there was a, a bit of autobiographical stuff in there, but it was never written for Mark. It was actually... That was going to be in series six, but COVID stopped it. So we've it's been waiting around to be filmed for ages, and then suddenly it was free, and it was like, of course it should be here, it's perfect. But uh, yeah, it, um, I've been surprised by the ones, like I say, that have been that people have really taken to, like Christine. I knew that Christine was good and had a good twist, but I had no idea that it would absolutely sucker punch people in the way that it still seems to do. Um, 
And that probably is the one that people talk about the most. And it's the one that me and Steve are in the least. <laughs> yeah, but the bits that you are in, I mean, that that's the thing, isn't it, which is the impression. Well, we've talked about this many times before in the past, but as you know, it, it was actually a big influence on a book that I, I wrote, know, yes. you know, a non-fiction book, which it, 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 it changed the first half of the book because of its effect on me. I remember um, you saying um, but I wanted to quickly mention as well, uh, Reese. so you're, uh, Mark's directing you, isn't he, in, in uh, a play, is that right? Oh, in the play, yes, he is, yeah, Mark is directing this uh, play, The Unfriend, which is, Stephen Moffat has written it, it's his first play, and it's really funny, it's a very blackly comic um, story, based on a true incident that happened to Stephen, a, a couple of, of um, that Stephen knew, who went on a cruise, and they befriended this American lady on the ship and they would meet her every day on the deck and then eventually after the two weeks they said goodbye to her and she said oh we must swap emails let's stay in contact and they were they thought oh yeah fine we, we'll never see her again but fine so they did they, within a week she's emailing them saying can I come and stay with you I'm coming to London and they were, and they were like oh okay and then the, the wife got suspicious like who is she even we don't know who she is so he, she googled her thinking can I find something out about this woman and um then she rang her husband at work, come home. I found something out about Elsa. And he's like, what is it? I can't tell you over the phone, you've got to come home. So he, he comes home, what is it? What's the worst thing you could find out about someone? And she says, oh, I don't know. Just tell me, no, just guess. I don't know, murderer, yes. And she'd killed like her, her, her husband, her mother, probably two or, three, two or three other old ladies, for all for money. And she got off on a technicality. They found a whole website about her and there was a, an American programme about her and, and she was out and she'd done it, definitely done it. So in real life, they just emailed her and said, we found out about you. No, you can't come to stay. We've got teenage children, no. But in the play, they're too polite to stop her coming. And it's just the, the embarrassment of being not wanting to appear um, mean. <laughs> so he said that, that the social um, Britishness of keeping everything all right, even with a murderer in your house. So it's a very funny um, escalating black comedy, really. So oh, I'm really looking forward to doing it. Yeah, it'd be funny. So that's that, that's running at the Chichester Festival, and then yeah, is it that, is it already moving to London, or we don't? I don't know it, actually. It? I mean, that would be great if it did, but we've got no plans other than Chichester for now. But uh, yeah, twenty fifth of May till the 9th of July is the Chichester run. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to starting. Brilliant. Reese, thank you so much, and I'm hugely, as I said, I'm going to miss seeing it out there. I, I always, that is the thing that I love about Inside Number Nine, and it must again be for you something that it, it creates an, an, an incredible kind of sense of joy is that it is something that people want to watch as it goes out. That, you know, so yes. much is watched streaming, but it's not, is it? Nothing is, um, there's nothing quite like it. Yeah, no one um, watches telly on appointment viewing anymore, but I think people do for fear of finding the twist or finding the, it being spoiled, it, it's nice to sit down and watch it and go, go out. And, um, you know, we've pushed back a, a bit with um, this new thing that they do where you can get all six just immediately on iPlayer. And we've said, can we have them go out one at a time? Because each one is its own special thing. And I think it would, it's a bit diminishing returns just to consume them and be done in three hours. Next. You know, so I think each one needs its own. It's great to have a week and, and, and look forward to another one coming along and just process it 
Otherwise, they all sort of become a bit the same, I think. There are some things that are suited to that, and you can watch them as a mini film, but I think ours, because they're all separate things, it's nice to give them the the time each each week, and, and we've we've been successful in that, so they are putting them out one at a time, yeah. But um, I'm glad it's uh, that people still want to watch it when it actually goes out. It's very rare, of course, people just do it when they want now, but uh, it, it's, it makes it a special thing. And I, I, I don't think it, just, go on, Johnny. Oh, I, I just want to ask you this quickly uh, about Simon Says. Yeah. I feel like that's probably one of the most edgiest and dangerous episodes that you've ever done. <laughs> yes. Well, it certainly is as far as biting the hand that feeds. <laughs> because, you know, we, we've, we've always wanted to do something on the, the, the queasy nature of, of, the, uh, of the artist and the consumer, you know, and that relationship of, of an, an ownership of a thing that you love or you begin, you start by loving and it, be, and it can turn into something else. And we just thought there's definitely something in, in that that we must be allowed to explore just because we're the people that are creating it. There's a way of doing it. So we were very careful with making um, Steve's character, who was the showrunner of this thing. It all came about from that very real thing about Game of Thrones and the, the um, fans being up in arms and not having the ending. No, that was wrong. And petitioning, yeah, we've got to have it again. You've got to do it again. You've got to remake it. And it, this has to happen and this has to happen. And so, you know, and we just thought, well, is there a way where the fan can make that happen so it was that this black blackmail situation occurred where he'd seen the showrunner kill a fan supposedly so yeah it, and but it was um it was a balancing act to make sure that everyone no one comes outside and says very well you know everyone is horrible in it and i think that's that was a, the takeaway really that, that there's a bit of truth on both sides of the of the coin as far as um you can't tell us you can't tell me how to write my thing i thought of it but equally, yes, but you wouldn't be writing it if it wasn't for people like us that are keeping it going by being avid fans of it. You know, so there is you do there is a crossover and a slight blurring of who who's perpetuating who. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad you thought that, Johnny. Yeah, because it was it, it did feel scary to go and to dare to enter that world or that subject matter. You get yeah. I get the odd weird comment online. I think we've always we've invited a very dedicated um, type of person that, en that enters our world and enjoys the fact that we are as geeky about it as, as they are, you know, and yeah. it, it, it requires a lot of your attention, this, you know, in, in increasingly I marvel at how much people invest themselves in it as far as like fan art and doing posters. And, you know, it's, it's great. Some of it's better than the stuff that we, officially attached to the to the show and indeed we've for some of the um, new posters we've i just got in contact with people that i'd seen do fan art and they've done the official posters for the next set so they were delighted to be part of it because suddenly they've they've stepped over from you know they're legitimized by the fact that i've we've we've got them on board so that's great and you know it's it's only ever good stuff normally it isn't ever there was one time years ago with league of gentlemen where i was filming and I was stopped I was doing Jeff it was a bit the, the episode where Jeff goes to London and I was sat in a car as Jeff and and man tapped on the window between takes because I was cameras up across the road and he he berated us for it going off the boil he said it was it's rubbish now you should stop doing it <laughs> it was literally while I was filming the third series I, so I, it, 
That's it's a curious thing that they feel emboldened to do that to actors. Because you wouldn't get, I always say, you wouldn't get someone turning up to someone, a plumber, and going, I hate the way he did those taps. You know, you wouldn't think of saying it, but it, it, I think it's that thing of like, I know you, and I can tell you this. And and but I don't think you should be allowed to tell them it. It's, it's funny. It's a funny crossover of that slightly um, because they think they know you because you're just a face. You're not quite a human, so you can be told this, and 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 then they can have their day, and you can just feel what you feel, and you've got no recourse. You can't answer back. You certainly shouldn't get involved in like on Twitter because then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you've caused a pylon. You know, you've got all the power apparently. So you just got to accept all of this shit, and that's what—that's where people go off the rails, I think. Because sometimes they think, "No, I'm not having it. I'm going to. I'm going to respond." It's really good if you can not and just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, it is that thing, isn't it? Which is, I, I, I do think now what's been amplified and was probably always there is that people will say, "Well, I didn't want this. This is not how I wanted the show to be." And you go, <laughs> "Oh." Oh, okay. By the way, thank you very much because I've got I've got to written to you, Rachel Parrish now. The um, but uh, I was what I love is the synchronicity. By the way, Reese, because at this very moment there is a man changing the taps in our bathroom. Is there really? Uh, yeah. I hope you haven't emboldened me. <laughs> <laughs> and that Jack well, you Palance can go to film. Tell him how good your bad is that the job is done. <laughs> yeah, that Jack Palance film is called Craze. Craze, I knew it was a corrupt craze, yeah. Directed by Freddie Francis. No! Yeah, it's, it's a funny... Yeah. If you can ever find that milk advert, it is one of the great... Uh, in terms of the history of incongruous milk adverts, it's very high up. Right, I better disappear. Thank you so much, Rhys. So, thank you for doing this at the last minute. Not it's at all, great. I'm delighted. Thank you very much to Johnny Mains and Rhys Shearsmith. As I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Dead Funny 3, we want to get that published, hopefully. If we can manage to hit the target on Unbound, then uh, we will. So if you'd like to find out what the story is that Reese has written, then please go and support us there. And you can also support Bookshambles, of course, via Patreon as well. Bye-bye. And a final reminder, patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to get an uncanny hour and extended versions of this and all the other episodes of Bookshambles. And the URL to support the third dead funny book is unbound.com slash books slash dead dash or hyphen if you prefer funny. Back next week with another new episode. Hope you have a great week. Take care, stay safe, and bye for now. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.